You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Blood Red Liverpool podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today, it's not my two sons, even though I think if you combine their age, it might come up to mine. We have with us uh, Stephen Killen. Hello, Steve. Hello, you okay? I'm not bad, yourself? Yeah, very good. Very and also we have Tom Cavilla. And as we only have one other microphone, I'm going to have to pass it to him and he can say hello. Hello, Ian. Well, we'll start with you, Tom. Liverpool obviously earned a 3-0 victory against Aston Villa on Sunday. Uh, I know you weren't at the game. I'm not entirely sure how much of it you actually saw, but that doesn't you know, distract from the fact that it was a great victory for Liverpool. And Jurgen Klopp said afterwards that it's probably the best Liverpool have played in a very long time. Yeah, I think um, you know, going into the game against Villa, it looked like quite a difficult game on paper. You know, they've had a good start to the season, apart from that opening day, or opening weekend loss at Newcastle, which I don't think many people saw coming. You know, I think Villa are going to be right up there this season. Probably not going to be, you know, top four, but you'd imagine they would be top five, top six, the way they've been playing ever since Emery's come in. You know, they've looked really impressive, and we saw that Anfield back end of last season when they got that point against Liverpool. So I don't think anyone was expecting a, a walkover of any kind, and, you know, 3 0. I was quite surprised, to be honest, to see that score. So I think that's a really encouraging result for Liverpool. There was a lot to, to like about the performance. Trent, obviously, that was probably his best performance we've seen this season, you know, when he was captain as well for the game. So that's a really, you know, a real big positive for him. Soboslai is, you know, looking really impressive ever since he's come to the club. Got a goal, got his first goal for the club. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of positives for the game. The fact that they cope without Van Dijk, that could have gone one or two ways. Gomez, is, you know, stepped up and, and filled in well. So it was the, the perfect way to go into the international break. Stephen, you obviously saw a lot more of the game than Tom did. I mean, what impressed you overall with Liverpool's performance? Because it did seem as though, while Villa, I must admit, I wasn't very impressed with Villa. I thought they were a bit compliant. Although, of course, they were 1-0 down after three minutes. And, you know, there's been many teams better than Villa at the moment who've just, you know, not been able to get back after that. But you know, what impressed you the most? Was it the way that Liverpool passed? Was it the way Liverpool pressed? Or was it just all, all of the aspects of the game that Jurgen Klopp likes from his teams? I think it was everything. You're seeing how it takes two, doesn't it, really? I think Liverpool harried Aston Villa into the mistakes. And um, it's easy to forget that after such a bad season last season, it, the positive might be the recency bias, but the attack's just been so seamless and they've been so impressive, the way they're pressing and the way they're... The combining the whole interplay is it's good on the eye, it's nice to watch and it's almost 
like what we had a few years ago when Liverpool were almost rifling through teams as if they wasn't even there. And then you see it on, on Sunday where the combination plays there, it was like that against Newcastle. And then with the goals, it's just struggle luck with one of them, but with Sopper Slides, what we've got to come as well as that. Well, Tom mentioned we'll do Trent first. Tom mentioned Trent and his performance. I did the ratings for the Echo, gave him man of the match, and obviously there's the worry about he went off with. At first, to be fair, at first I thought it was an ankle problem because he got mm. caught when he was trying to. I think he got caught by somebody else making a foul on it, maybe even being Harvey Elliott or something like that. But it's after he had that shot, wasn't it? He did that run shot, and then he, he kind of felt his hamstring. But Liverpool were, must have already thought something was up because they already had Gerald Quanta ready to come on. But before that. In terms of Trent's performance, it was interesting to me because it seems as though he wasn't really playing in that, you know, where that hybrid role. Or if he was, he wasn't coming in quite as often. And it meant that a lot of his best work was done on the right wing because it seems as though Aston Villa were, were waiting for him to come into the middle, and he, he hardly ever did. So he just got loads of space. And certainly in the first half, he did a lot of, you know, um, you know, moving the play from switching the play from one wing, certainly from his wing to the left. And Diaz and Curtis Jones got a bit of joy doing that. But it's just. You know, his, his overall passing, it was he put in the, you know, the corner for the first goal, which I'm pretty sure that's not what he meant to do. For, the, for He still gets an assist. Uh, I think it's 55 down in the Premier League. It's certainly, certainly quite a lot. Second one, he was involved a little bit more, obviously, with the ball down the line for Salah. But you know, even defensively, he didn't really seem to have any, any issues. And just overall, his performance was that of somebody who, as Tom said, he was captain. Is that the first time he's actually been captain from the start of a game? I think it might have been, yeah. 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 So, so that's yeah. the first time he'd have been captured from the start and it just seemed to make a difference to the way he went around things. Yeah, maybe. It's possibly a confidence booster as well, isn't it? Maybe he adds a bit more responsibility to his game. But I think when he did move into the middle, Aston Villa didn't really put him under any pressure, which we know he tends to struggle with if he did. And when he does have that space, he can pick a pass and we've seen that quite, quite fluidly with what he was doing. Probably one of his better games probably dampened by the injury. Um, but the way he sort of combined the play as well and starting starting off attacks, it was it's good to see it. It's positive signs for the future. Possibly a good time to get an injury. It was never a good time to get an injury, but to get an injury on the eve of the international break, it sort of gives Liverpool some time to monitor him and not get any um, injuries further down the line. What was interesting is the England squad when it got mentioned that they did the list of the players and they put Trent as a midfielder. Now, do you think that's where he's going to end up playing for England full stop? Because then that could actually work in Liverpool's favour because then that gives him more you know, exposure, experience in that position. Although, as we'll get on to in a bit, Liverpool look quite well blessed for midfielders at the moment. But just going, going back to Trent there, I mean, it's been such a long week with all the stuff that's been going on. It's, it's difficult to, to, to remember that it was Trent's mistake against Newcastle that gave them the lead. And then that first half, he was, I won't say he was all over the place, but he didn't have his best game. But he kind of turned things around a little bit in the second half. And what does it say about... His character then is then able to come out and do that kind of performance against Aston Villa, who seems to remember rightly they played them right at the end of last season, and that was one of the games where in the first half Villa got really into Liverpool and they kind of exposed some of the problems that perhaps putting Trent in that hybrid role can have. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe he went in the leadership <coughs> team or the, the group this summer, didn't he? So it's that, that extra bit of responsibility for him, which as a, a local lad you, you probably you want. It, it cements his. Um, how he's ranked it among the squad, at least anyway. Yeah, but with the England stuff, I think he was never really going to get into the, the full-back position there because of the quality that England have there. Um, it's, if it does work in Liverpool's favour, it could be good for the hybrid role, but like you said, with the 
the complement of midfielders they've got now, it seems pretty much difficult for anyone to um, unsave each other. So, Tom, you mentioned Soboslai as well before, and he yeah. um, he's somebody who, when I was watching them during the summer, obviously he missed a game through injury. He had another game where he only came on for a, a part of it. He didn't play the full part as everybody else did. So it was a little bit more difficult for him to get up to speed when you compared to McAllister and what, what he managed to do in those early games, especially given that McAllister obviously had the experience of two, nearly three seasons at, at Brighton playing in the Premier League. Yeah. But with, with Soboslai, he, since it's actually, you know, it's, it's, I said this on another podcast, that the more difficult the situation has been for Liverpool this season, you look at Bournemouth, where he stepped up after he had a player sent off, certainly at Newcastle when there was a player sent off there as well. He seems to step up, he kind of responds to that. And Steve was talking about um, Trent being in the leadership group now, but Liverpool got quite a lot of leaders as well, haven't they? Because he's only 22, Soboslai is the hungry captain. We know about Salah, we know about Andy Robertson, so we know about Trent, we know about Van Dijk, there might be one or two others in there as well. Alisson's been captain of Liverpool quite a few times as well in the past. so. They've got that, but in Soboslai, they've got this player who a lot of fans wouldn't have really known a lot about him. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have seen him play many times. Because I know I hadn't seen him play many times. But he just seems to get it straight away, and the fans have really, really responded to that. Especially with the way, you know the way football fans of any club, what they love, not more than anything, but what they really warm to is hard work. Mm-hmm. But not as he got that hard work ethic, he's able to score goals like he did. Uh, after a couple of minutes and still be involved in all the other good bits that Liverpool were doing throughout the game. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's impressed me most with him since he's been at Liverpool. It was the game at Chelsea on the first weekend. You saw him just like sprinting everywhere after the ball, um, chasing down lost causes. And, you know, that's something Liverpool sort of lacked last year quite badly. Um, you know, we saw the problems with the midfield in the league, in, in the Champions League. And it was a lot of the time it was just to down to not having that energy in the midfield. They were just getting bypassed a lot of the time. And, you know, someone like him, he's going to completely change that because he's got the energy to run around the whole game. I'm pretty sure he's, in terms of like distance covered, he's covered more ground than any player in the first couple of Are games. Are you just guessing that? No, I've, I'm, fact, I've yeah. seen it. I'm pretty sure I saw it, at least for the Chelsea game. Um, so the fact that he's able to come in straight away and adapt to the intensity of the league is you know, not many players come in and do that. It usually takes at least a month or two for players who've come maybe from the Bundesliga to get adapted to the Premier League. So, yeah, he's got a bit of a fearless nature about him, not only from the the running side of things, but also taking shots on. We've seen him try a couple of shots from outside the box, which didn't go in um, first couple of games close on a couple of them obviously he's got his goal now well they got the one against Bournemouth came from his yes, shot, shot yeah. yeah exactly um, so yeah I think that's another positive because I think you know the midfield Liverpool had the last year or two it kind of felt a bit safe at times where the ball would get to sort of the edge of the box no one would really want to take it on or you know try that sort of shot I think Coutinho is probably the last player Liverpool had that would maybe try that sort of thing but since then no one really kind of had a go at that um, so yeah I think he's providing a lot of positives for the team in the midfield and he's already looking like the, probably the best signing so far you would say. Staying with the midfield then were you a bit surprised that Alexis McAllister was picked in the number six role especially when Endo uh, with Aro Endo he, he'd obviously started against Newcastle and it's a bit unfair on him hasn't it because he's played something like 90 odd minutes for Liverpool and most of it's been for 10 men yeah. yeah and Klopp did say on 
Friday, on last Friday, he did say that, look, he's had to have a couple of meetings with him and tell him, you know, as we saw with Fabinho five years ago now, it can take a bit of time to get used to that position. But McAllister thought he was a lot better in the position playing against Aston Villa than he was against Chelsea. Admittedly, yeah. it's slightly different standard of, of, of opposition, I think, anyway. And had certainly a different circumstance with you know, Stamford Bridge being a bit more volatile than Anfield would be for any Liverpool player. But, uh, but no, McAllister, he seemed, to, he seemed to play quite well. And... Something happened very early on, as I say, you know, you didn't see all the game, but he, he challenged, I think it was Diaby, Moussa Diaby, and he won the ball, that was after about two, so even before Liverpool had scored, and the, and the fans probably responded to that, and he seemed to build from that with the way that he helped out the defence, but also the way he was not content with just sitting back, mm-hmm. he'd be taking it forward and trying to initiate some attacks. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I'm interested to see you know how this sort of develops the situation with McAllister in terms of if he's going to continue starting as a six because, as you said, we saw it on the opening game against Chelsea mm. didn't didn't quite work out. You know, he had some good moments in the game, but we also saw Chelsea getting way too much space in the midfield, getting through the midfield quite easily. So, if you clot, I mean, you've got to be thinking about Endo at some point starting games. Um, you know, you throw Gravenberch into the mix as well, and then where does he, you know, where does he go in? Who does he replace? So it's a bit of a, a tricky one because Liverpool have kind of gone from having, you know, a midfield with no kind of standout names, and you know, people saying, oh, you could get rid of Henderson, Milner, Cater, and you wouldn't be too fussed. But I think now people are kind of like, oh, who, who's actually going to miss but out? Did you say that you could get rid of Henderson? <laughs> and fuss? Is that you? Is that you? I think towards the end of last season, I think people were getting a bit agitated with his performances, shall we say. And, yeah, but this season now, they've got, you know, a number of good options there. So, in terms of who misses out, it's kind of like the dilemma you've got with the attack in terms of, you've got Gakpo, Jota, Salah, Diaz, and someone good is going to be missing out each week and it's going to be the same for the midfield. I think McAllister's probably one you wouldn't leave out. Sobotsly is looking like a pretty much nailed on starter as well, so it just comes down to that third spot. Curtis Jones obviously is going to be one to be playing as well, but we tried him in the six in pre-season as well, and again that didn't necessarily work the way Klopp would have wanted it. So Endo's probably got the challenge of trying to get that, make that his own, but whether or not he can do it, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Stephen Liverpool obviously do have a lot of midfield resources, as Tom just said, which is a slight contrast to last season. Although, in terms of the numbers, they've actually got fewer. But <coughs> what has been, again, interesting to observe is that Sobosly, he's come in and it already, as Tom said, it looks like he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet with the way he's played. And McAllister, you'd assume, is there as well. So, saying as Tom said, there might just be one space, but we know for a fact the way this works, people will pick up injuries, there will be players rotated for Liverpool to have that many. Now, there's one player there in in Harvey Elliott, sorry, who's come on in all four games and he's made quite a big a difference 
in every single time he's played. Now last season, I think it was until about April when they played Chelsea away, actually, which was his birthday, I seem to think. Um, it was the first time he didn't wasn't involved, and then he didn't play a lot during the the run that Liverpool were then unbeaten at the end of the season, and Curtis got into the team and he stayed in. What was interesting for me is that Curtis, the first time he's been properly fit and available, he was back straight in the team as well. And that, and I thought at first he might be the one who's playing number six, but obviously things changed around. But going back to Harvey, how do you think he feels now seeing Gravenberch come in? Or even how does Gravenberch, because he was sat on the, uh, the touchline, he's now looked at this and gone, he's gone from Bayern Munich where he's not been getting many minutes. And he will obviously get a lot of minutes for Liverpool because of the way that they rotate. But suddenly, as, as Tom said, Klopp's got all these options and quite a lot of them were untried because Elliot hasn't, still hasn't actually played that many games in midfield. We know Soboslai and, and McAllister haven't for Liverpool. Endo, we've just mentioned him. Basetic, he's another one who we haven't actually said, who's only played things like 13.15 times, not many as a senior professional. So suddenly it's a, a completely new look midfield, but it's also new players in terms of what they're actually trying to achieve and in how they're actually going to be positioned in this in any team let alone just the Liverpool team so Klopp said at the start of the season he thinks it's Liverpool reloaded do you see it that way and do you see this as what was probably deemed as a negative or, or a weakness if you should say last season has now suddenly become a, quite a large strength well, it's good to have options isn't it anywhere across the pitch and it's probably good for competition when you're not just getting um, promoting players from the youth team to, to be in the first team it's, it's good to have for the selection options, but like you said, it very much is a reloaded team. But I think in those early days, you are going to have teething problems and maybe tinkering one or two options. If for Elliot, it's 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 difficult really because you've got you've got a chance you have to take a type thing, isn't it? But well, he, he can't be doing much more, can he? Yeah, it's true. It's just, it depends what games you can sort of test him in or give him the opportunity to have that time. But it depends. You obviously, got a lot of football to be played this this season, um, but. Goes with his ambitions, really, doesn't it? How much? How much does he want to sit on the bench? Same with the, every other option in there. Like you said, Sobislai is a nailed-on starter now. I think McAllister um, is going to be one or one or there or thereabouts. So it just depends. Maybe he has to sort of tweak his tweak his position, or maybe he does have to delve slightly forward. But then it's another another difficult task to try and break into that front line as well, isn't it? So it's difficult for him. But it's it's hard to say, but. It, if he's doing the good things that he is doing, he's making them impressions off the bench, then he is definitely going to be there or thereabouts in Klopp's thinking. But it would have been a bit of an eye-opener for Gravenberch watching on, wasn't it, thinking, well, not only is this what English football's like, but also that's the standard that he has to reach. And as I said before, you know, Klopp will have said, because it's a player that Liverpool have been after for more than a year now, so they've obviously got a long-term plan for him, so he will be playing games, and he'll certainly have a position, in, in, Klopp will have a position in mind for him, but in the short term, it's actually a bonus for Klopp, isn't it? That he's got like this headache that he wouldn't normally have had. He's, had, he's still got a midfield headache, but it's a completely different one. But yeah, I think with, with Gravenberch, he's sort of what we've seen this morning, where he's pulled himself out to the, the Holland under 21 team. He's seen it and probably took a step back and think it's not going to be easy getting in this team. He str- didn't struggle because he might not got the opportunity to get in the Bayern Munich team, but he's gone from a, a team he wasn't playing to a team where the options are there. And there's very much competition to get in there, so I think it's going to be a test of time. Really, he's probably got off to the right start with Klopp because even Klopp said when he was signed that it's disappointing that he's going to the under 21s with with Holland. So he's now got two weeks with him. He's got more time to bed in to get the system. He's probably maybe even got a head start. 
So Tom, um, talking about not the midfield now, but yep. another thing that's been a bit of a headache for Jurgen Klopp recently, and that's the centre backs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was no Virgil Van Dijk. He's banned, and I mean, there's every chance he could have his ban further extended. We'll probably find out later this week. Ibrahima Kanati, he was injured for the Newcastle game and remained injured, and he's he pulled out of the France squad, didn't he? He was named in it on in yeah. Thursday, and then he pulled out on Sunday, which doesn't really augur well for, for that Wolves game in a fortnight. Now, Joel Matip and Joe Gomez were the centre-back partners, and I think they partnered each other four times last season. Liverpool conceded ten goals, including three at Wolves in that game. And one of them was the last game, four all at Southampton, which you could argue wasn't really a proper game as such. But there was enough other evidence to suggest that there might be some reasons for concern, especially when you consider that Matip will be playing in that kind of, as we mentioned before, didn't have to do quite as much of going out onto the, the right wing to cover for Trent, but he still had to do it at some point. Mm -hmm. um, both him and Gomez were up against Ollie Watkins, who's got a propensity for scoring a few goals against Liverpool, and he got a hat-trick in that 7-2 game yeah. three years ago now, and that's when Gomez had an absolute nightmare. I think he got subbed out. Yeah. Did he get subbed early? Yeah. yeah he he, he wasn't even at yeah. half-time, was it? Yeah, was, was, it, was it before that? It was early on, yeah, it was, right? Yeah. It was pretty, or I may be wrong on that. It just seems as though if, if he wasn't subbed, then perhaps he should have been. But, uh, but he, in particular, was very good. And mm -hmm. what, what I found quite interesting is that with Gomez, I often think that he can be very, very good. And then if something goes wrong, you can sometimes you let it affect him a little bit. You let it, I, I look back to last season, Liverpool played City. Yeah, I was about to he, say yeah, that. Liverpool yeah. played City at home. He had a very good game, probably the man of match, actually. Yeah. And Liverpool won. But four days later, they played West Ham. He started quite well. Then he conceded a penalty. Yeah. And then he went down in that game. And I'm pretty sure they played Forest after that. Yeah. And then he had a bit of a nightmare. They lost. And then the following week, they played Leeds. And, and the Napoli game, yeah, exactly. which yeah, was so. the worst of all of them. Well, Napoli was a long time before that. He kind of got over yeah. that. My point being is that when something's happened, it seems to affect him directly. But in the first half against Villa, after having a good game, he did a good tackle on the halfway line, then slipped. And they kind of ran away a little bit. But he managed to get back. But he didn't let that affect him, and he, he just seems to have, I wouldn't say he got mentally got stronger, but he looks a lot more calm in himself. And mm. interestingly for me, is that he was playing on the left side of the defence, which is where he wouldn't normally play, because Van Dijk almost always plays there, yeah. and he seemed to kind of enjoy that as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for Gomez because I think he's one of those players that probably gets a bit... You know, treated a bit unfairly at times in terms of how he's perceived by supporters. I think because he's had all the injuries over the years, he's never had like a, a good run in the team where he's been available for a prolonged period of time. And he played most of the season he, in 2019. When they so won the league. The league. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. They, they, everyone sort of remembers that year and said, you know, that partnership with Van Dijk, that was going to be the next big thing. But that's his. that's been his problem. He's never been able to kind of, after that, stay fit for a long period of time. So you've never seen what he could have done in the team. And, you know, Liverpool obviously then going by Canate kind of falls back in the pecking order and then never really gets that chance to establish himself as the, you know, the second choice centre-back. So 
you know, I think there was a lot of talk about whether Liverpool should sell him this summer, and I never really got that the calls for that because he's a reliable player more often than not. Who was, who was saying that they should sell? There, there, people were saying I think Newcastle and a couple of the teams were linked, sort of thirty million pound move, and that was very early in the summer. Yeah, though, wasn't it? once it once it became apparent Liverpool were looking to sign a centre back, and it looks like they weren't going to sign one. I don't think anybody was was saying Liverpool no, should sign any centre back. But, the fact that you know some people were suggesting it would make sense to move him, I didn't really get that. Um, I think he's the sort of player you always need in the squad. He's not, you know, he might not ever be the same level as Van Dyke, but man, you know, not many players are going to be mm. that. So, yeah, I think overall, when he's played for Liverpool, I think he's done reasonably well. You know, he's had a few iffy games, like you said last season, and those are the ones people seem to remember more often than not. So. Yeah, I think he's just got to keep his head down, keep working hard, and there's probably going to be more chances over the season because the same thing applies with Matip in terms of his injury record, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was injured at some point throughout the season. Kanate seems to be quite an injury-prone player as well. So You're just writing them all off here, aren't oh, you? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's been out quite a lot of injuries, Kanate. Uh, only niggles, but seems to happen quite a lot with him. So Gomez probably going to get more chances anyway. Um, just going back to Matip as well, and Stephen Warnock was talking about this when he was analysing the game yesterday. He's pointing out that at times during the Villa game, Matip actually moved to right-back at times, and Trent sort of came into centre-back position, so they sort of swapped around, which was quite interesting, I thought. So we saw Trent sort of in the centre-back role putting those passes forward. I think that's just kind of a, that's, that is the hybrid though. Yeah. Sometimes he drops a little bit deeper, so you still need the cover over on the right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, Matip again, seemed to adapt quite well to that, doing that role with Trent. So, I think they're both good options, Matip and Gomez, obviously, but, you know, you want Van Dyke back as soon as possible, really. Steve, do you think as though Gomez has perhaps benefited from the fact that Liverpool haven't signed a centre-back, by which I mean that he knows quite well he's got the next few months because of the, the amount of games they're going to be playing and the worries about the players we've just mentioned. You know, Canati, he's going to pick up a few injuries, but both Matip and Van Dijk are in the 30s. And I think if he can prove that he can kind of cover for Van Dijk, that might help him get minutes. Also, it'll help Liverpool and it'll help Van Dijk and it'll help them be stronger. But a lot of that is obviously going to depend on him keeping that form that he showed when he came off the bench at Newcastle and obviously against Aston Villa takes me back to my point that do you feel as though in his own mind he might be a little bit more settled with the fact that he knows he's now got the next few months where he can go right I know no one's coming in I know this is my opportunity and I can actually make the most of it possibly but I think on the other side of the coin he's also got a few months to sort of cement that now mm. um, obviously Liverpool are going to need a centre-back very soon um, just depends because it's with the defensive options are limited at best and I think if you're showing the form that he has shown then he is a credible option there. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the same conversation really, isn't it? Is he going to be able to sort of cement that? And I think maybe this time next year he may find himself in the same position that Matip is now, where is he going to be close to the end of his contract or maybe not so much, but he's going to be looking to play first-team football and he, if there's another new centre-back in that position, he's going to be further down the pecking order. Um, but it's like you said, when he is sort of well in on his mistakes if he eradicates that then I think he's going to be a, a credible defensive option it just depends whether Liverpool are going to have to filter him at right back or not because I think that's probably the next problem if Alexander-Arnold's yeah. injury is that bad <coughs> then it's going to be caught in between and 
I was watching the game yesterday. He had a good game at centre back, and I think at right back he's shown glimpses, but he's still sort of erratic in the sense where he comes forward when he shouldn't, and maybe pushes out when he when he shouldn't have to, and chases the um, the ball instead of sticking to position. But if he shows the signs and continues the form, maybe he's enough to put in a, a nine or ten out of ten every week. Maybe he's just to stay steady when Liverpool need it and sort of be that that sweeper or the one that pushes out. Then I think Liverpool have got a a definite option there, favour up the, the chain than what he is well, already. The right back is a very good point actually, uh, because obviously Conor Bradley is out for what was it three months something like that, and he's he's not really played hardly any football for Liverpool. I know he had the very good season at Bolton last year, but League One isn't quite the same as the Premier League. And James Milner's gone as well, who's obviously the old standby. Um, so Liverpool don't really have, other than Gomez, a real alternative to to Trent at right back, do they? And I know he's a completely different type of player. But with the players that they've got now, they can change the formation or go back to the old 4-3-3. But then that does expose them at the centre-back situation. But then you've got Jarrell Quanta, who I won't say he's come from nowhere, because if you, if you actually follow his career, he's actually the pro- progress that he's made over the past three months is exactly what you might expect of somebody who's been come through the under-18s, captain in the Youth Cup final, played for the 21s, gone on loan for half of last season, then played for England in the 20 World Cup, then played well in, in the summer. In the, in the friendly so from that point of view it's to be expected but you don't really want to have him playing a lot of Premier League games over the next couple of months although with the League Cup and the Europa League starting soon he could get some minutes there couldn't he The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Yeah I think with Joe Gomez it's probably not in round but it's probably the worst time to have a good game in centre back because when you are needed at right back then you sort of in between which which <coughs> position should he play and do your experiment but with Kwanzaa he's obviously at that age where he's raw he's got that talent he is going to make mistakes that's whether you want to hang your hat on him in a Chelsea United Man City type game which eventually he's going to have to sort of deal with that sort of pressure but I think he's what 19, 20, 20, 20 yeah. so it's probably too much to, to give responsibility for someone who's only made two appearances for Liverpool um, but like you said, it's difficult when you're sort of caught in between the two two options, where, whether you play him at right-back or you play him at centre-back, but we've got to make use of what we've got at the minute, or what Liverpool have got at the minute, sorry, where it's you've got Carabao Cup, you've got the FA Cup and the Europa League, so you've got at least eight games, if you include the group stage games, where he can be in them pressure situations and he can be a bona fide starter, where you can sort of rest Canate and, and Matip and sort of save their injuries and save their legs. Tom, let's talk about Darwin Nunes. <laughs> we got this far into it without mentioning him. Obviously, he got the reward for his two goals at Newcastle by getting a, a start. And you know, again, I haven't seen him a lot of him in the, in the summer. He's actually played quite well. You know, and he could have even scored a few more goals. And uh, he made a big impact, didn't he? Because it was him that chased down for the uh, won the corner for the uh, for the first goal. He, he got in behind, and I know Unai Emery said, "Well, we weren't playing a high line, and mm-hmm. we didn't really change it that much." But he did manage to get in behind quite a bit, I and mean, it was the first time, really, in a long time we've seen. Okay, apart from the Newcastle game, you could argue that we've seen him use his pace, and Liverpool have played to that, and that might go back to what we said about Trent perhaps not playing in the centre as much because with him playing out wide, he was able to release both Salah and also Nunes. And while we again, where we saw this got a fair bit last season, there is that partnership between Nunes and uh, Salah, isn't there up mm-hmm. front? Um, but you can just tell from the way that Nunes is just approaching the games that he looks a lot more confident he looks like he knows 
not saying he didn't look like he knew what he was doing last season, but he looks like he knows what he can do in this league. And his, the goal, the second goal that Liverpool scored, obviously came from his shot, which hit the post, and that goes in off cash, which is a little bit reminiscent to the, um, the one against Leicester, wasn't it, last mm -hmm. season? Although the difference there would say is that he should have scored that Leicester one. He was a bit lucky that he got away with that. But, he, but this time he earned the luck for his performance and it was he also hit the bar a bit later on yeah. and, and he sets up the goal for, for Salah with the flick on so he couldn't really have done much more could he? No and I think he probably deserved to start you know, yeah. on the back of that Newcastle game I think it would have been a bit harsh if he didn't you know get thrown into the starting 11 so you know he that was a chance for him to come in and make an impact which he's done it just comes down now to what we were talking about before in terms of how Klopp approaches this because Jota's now the person that's going to be missing out by the looks of things if if Nunez is the one picked. So, but they're on international break now, so we know quite well at least four of them will get injured. <laughs> yeah, probably. But it'd be interesting to see how he, you know, going forward, what he does in terms of does Nunez start every game now, or you know who's going to miss out there. But I think, you know, from what we've seen of him, the back end of last season and this season already. You know, he's someone you'd want to have in the team. You know, he causes problems for the other team. He's always, you know, looking to make something happen. We saw that that Chelsea game, you know, when he got subbed on, he had that shot from outside the box that was sort of about out of nowhere. And, you know, just looking to make something happen, which I don't think, you know, Liverpool don't have that of every player. I think Salah can be a bit different in terms of how he goes about things. And um, Although Diaz likes to take people on, he's probably the only other one that kind of has that explosive kind of speed running at the other team. So, yeah, I think I'd like to see him stay in the team for a bit and have a run, see what he can do. You know, he's had a lot of people writing him off last season, mainly opposition fans. So I think he'll probably be quite determined to prove people wrong. And his comments were quite interesting recently about social media and not paying attention to what people have been saying about him. That was in reference to you, of course. Yes, yeah. of course, yeah. No, I, I, I was quite backing him last season. To you were only quite backing him. Backing him to backing prove him people wrong. Because I think, you know, he's going to show it now this season that I think people were too quick to, you know, say, oh, he's, you know, he's not worked out. Let's cut our losses and move, on, move him on. But I think he's someone, like I was saying, based on the comments he said, he said people's comments were affecting him slightly, the negative things. So he's obviously not paying too much attention to that. And... <coughs> We've probably seen that on the pitch, that he's trying to have a sort of fearless mentality in the way he plays. Steve, do you think we've reached the point now where we're kind of reaching the point where people can just stop arguing that Nunes isn't good enough for Liverpool and stuff like that? It's now just a matter of how we can adapt with the rest of the other four main forwards, although you could probably argue three because we know Salah's going to start most of the games. Well, yeah, I think it works where it doesn't it, where Nunes has to perform as well. He is good enough by all means. Um, and as you mentioned, with the, the Salah link up, we've seen it with the with the goal where against Newcastle, where they're doing the, the, the intricate play in between. And we see, it was present throughout pre season against obviously lesser German sides, but you could see the link up play was there. And then there was like the one two passing behind. And there was evidence against Aston Villa that's very much an, an outsource for Liverpool. It's just probably the question is whether his finishing can be relied upon, which against Newcastle he showed it. And then Possibly against Villa, not so much. But he did it a post of the bar. He couldn't have got much closer. <laughs> the one with Martinez taking the touch as well, where he sort of went in with his head and his knee and his volley almost. But it, I've got he to couldn't quite make his mind up. No, no. But one, yeah. I suppose yeah. with the touch from Martinez, a sort of 
scrambles it a bit, mm. doesn't it? But yeah. I think with with Nunes, I've sort of got a great way. I think he should remain as a the straight striker, not drift out into the wide areas to try and get involved. We didn't really do that, did he? I've seen one instance with Salah doing it with him and Salah doing that was maybe Salah getting frustrated he wasn't getting involved as much, but maybe he swaps in. But I think what we've, what we've seen with Harlan last season, obviously you don't want to draw them comparisons between the two. But if he does be that jack in the box, lingers round the six yard box and just taps him to scraps like Jota does so well. Then I think you've got a, a fifteen goal season striker, which obviously it's what you expect from a Liverpool striker, but if he can do that, then you're talking 20, 25, which is when you spend that money that you did last season on him, you, that's how much you're going to get, and that's, that's what you, you require. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, let's talk a little bit, very briefly, about Mohamed Salah. I'm not sure whether you've heard, but Saudi Arabia were, were interested in signing him. Uh, I know we addressed this a little bit on the podcast, or the other, the other lads did on the podcast on Friday, when we were just before the transfer deadline. Now, Liverpool had said by that point he wasn't for sale. They didn't sell him before deadline at 11 o'clock. He's, they're almost certainly not going to sell him. In fact, no, they're not. We can say it now. They're not going to sell him this week before the Saudi Arabian deadline. Um, and I think Dominic Sobsley came out after the game, didn't he, and said, oh, yeah, most told all of us, that not all of us, but he's told his, some of his teammates that he's not he's not leaving Klopp said well he hasn't told me but he doesn't have to because I just look at what he does in training I look at what he does on the pitch look at the performance he puts out against Aston Villa and I've got nothing to worry about so why should he have to come up and tell me that because I can see that he's what did he say on Friday he said he already said then he's super committed to Liverpool and I think he's right we did see that didn't we against Aston Villa even though Salah didn't say anything publicly in terms of his words what he actually did on the pitch kind of suggested this wasn't anybody who was thinking any time soon of leaving it's a testament to his professionalism, isn't it? Obviously, when he throws a strop going up, so everyone makes a, a massive deal out of mm. it. And you've got to be consistent with it. You've got to see his character and his commitment to Liverpool. Um, and it's it's been obviously not necessarily a worry for Liverpool fans, but it's been an ongoing struggle with where will he go, won't he go? But obviously, that sort of keeps the skeletons in the closet a bit, doesn't it? Where he's not showing any signs that he wants to leave. There's obviously rumours that there's been a meeting in Dubai with his agent, but if he's going to keep doing that, putting in performances like that and cropping up with the odd goal here and there, then Liverpool have got a reliable, or an ever-reliable member of the squad. And I think with this interest, it sort of gives Liverpool a bit of a nudge to say this, there is an end to this soon. And I think with Liverpool, they now know that it's rather sooner rather than later. It will be January, obviously, but it will be. June, July, and he can prepare and possibly maybe give Ben Doak a bit of a more of an opportunity to sort of establish that right wing position or get um, Dominic Sobosly a bit more accustomed to it in the Liverpool system, and then that opens up another midfield option. Tom, did you ever think that Salah was going to go? Um, yes or no? <laughs> well, when they're offering 150 million, I think Liverpool. There, there might be a point where Liverpool consider that offer. Obviously, they rejected it in the end but what figure then would you have said that Liverpool had to work with I'd have said 250 million pounds 200 million I think the people people just don't sometimes just forget just how much money yeah. it actually is it's like it's ridiculous it's ridiculous you could buy clubs for that yeah. and this is just about one player yeah. in his 30s well he's exactly so he's thir- 31, 31 so yeah. if you're looking at it from that sense 200 million for someone who's 31 is is a pretty good deal I know Liverpool fans don't want him to go but if you're looking at it from a financial perspective and, and planning for the future, if they so were to so you're selling, you should have sold him. Is that what not you're not this summer. I think at the end of this season, if that sort of offer's still on the table, I think it's something you've definitely got to consider. 
you know, we've seen Tottenham, they lost Harry Kane this summer, the best player. West Ham lost Declan Rice and they both both clubs have spent the money well and, and brought in good players and they they're both doing really well without them. So and everyone was saying, Oh, Spurs aren't gonna cope without Kane. I know it's still early and everyone's saying West Ham, Declan Rice, he's he is West Ham and they've brought in Edson Alvarez, Kudos. James Ward Prowse, and they've now got a squad that looks more well rounded than before Rice. Swangon, so you are saying sell something? I'm not saying they should sell it, I'm saying that it's something. I think if they got 200 million, I think it'd be hard to turn it down, to be honest. And this I think is, you could then. Saying this is a player who I think sometimes people forget again just how good he actually is. Mm-hmm. I think it's now 13 of the last 14 games that people have played, he's either scored or set up a goal. And while his goal output probably isn't, he's never going to be what it was a couple of years ago. He's become like this really very good creator of chances and creator of goals, and he's he's, he's become a far better all-round player, hasn't he? He has, yeah. But if it gets to next summer, <laughs> he's only got he's got one year left on his contract. How, yeah, okay, what, next, how they, next summer maybe, yeah. I mean, what, I agree, what will I, they do at that point? They I not, agree that he's, they're probably already planning for yeah. him to be gone next summer. But I do think that I think Salah be interesting one really because if they do really well this season which there's every chance that they might do now might go up does that and also he might go well actually I quite like it here I mean how much much money is too much money that's the thing when's Mm. enough and I don't even think to be honest I don't even think for him it would be about money because if it was he would have gone now anyway I think he's more about he's quite interested in Going back to what you were saying about his character, his, his, his legacy, I think, at Liverpool, I think he wants, he thinks there's a few more records he still wants to break and yeah. a few more trophies he still like to win. And if you can do them this, this year, then great. But, you know, it will be interesting next year to see in the summer just whether Al Itihad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. they're the ones, yeah. Or whether it's one or the other. Because I remember I read somewhere that because of the way that the, the, the PIF have majority control of four clubs don't they yeah they say well this year if he's going he'd be to al isiad and next year it could be to one of the other four it's their turn to take a a star name because other ones got benzema or neymar or, or, or ronaldo or whoever you know so they want to kind of spread them out and make that league more competitive so mm. so you're saying he's definitely going next summer is what you're i'm saying. not saying that <laughs> i'm saying if they got offered 200 million i think it'd be very hard to turn it down for someone who's got one year left in his contract at that point well, we'll finish then on Liverpool. Then, obviously, the international break's coming now, which we all absolutely love the international break. Yeah. Um, really helps us fill the website <laughs> and the newspaper. Um, but uh, 10 points from 12, which is obviously Chelsea away, Bournemouth at home, Newcastle away, and Villa at home. If you'd have said Liverpool were going to get 10 points from 12 back on, you know, an hour before this, the game was about to start, or a minute before the game was about to start at Stamford Bridge, would you have said that's probably not very realistic? Um, no, it would have involved them winning at either Newcastle or Chelsea. Yeah. To be honest, that draw at Chelsea is looking worse by the week <laughs> because of the way they're going. Um, you know, they lost to Nottingham Forest, they lost to West Ham. To be fair to Liverpool, that was the first game, mm. Pochettino's first game at Stamford Bridge, so they were always going to be up for it. But they are they are pretty bad, Chelsea, the way, the way, from what I've seen of them this season. Well, you put yourself enough time to answer the question. So come on. <laughs> Um, yeah, you take 10 points out of 12. Would you have expected that? I was probably, yeah, probably I would say around 10. I think I think they've done well, yeah, to get 10, but I don't think it was that unrealistic to get that. Um, Chelsea was somewhere they could have won at. Newcastle was probably the only one you thought, oh, they might drop points there. That's the only one I was looking at and going, no, they might not win that one, might get a draw. But I thought they could win at Chelsea. Um, and then Villa at home... 
Bournemouth at home games you should you think you should be winning. So yeah, I mean, I, I would just would have thought the Newcastle and Chelsea result would have been the other way around. That's that's probably the only one that surprised me. The relentless positivity of Tom Villa <laughs> is you you're the same, Stephen? Because I certainly wouldn't have expected them to get 10 points. I mean, I was very much of the opinion, if they got eight, that's a decent start. Yeah. If they got nine, that was good. And if they got anything more than nine, that's a really good start and probably not one they may have expected. But also, you, can, you have to, in terms of the games as well, factor in the 60 minutes with 10 men against uh, against Newcastle, even the half hour against Bournemouth, with down to, um, down to 10 men then. And if you look at the respective fixtures last season, I think Liverpool, Again, they're only two points. I mean, they're not only two, but they are two points better off than they were from those fixtures last year because obviously they won at Newcastle, drew at Chelsea, beat Bournemouth 9-0 and drew at home to Aston Villa. So there is progress in that sense. But again, the circumstances, the new team, this, that and the other, you'd have to say, would you have expected that? No, I think I think eight's probably a fair shout for the average. Um, going to flood the airways with pessimism now. But no, I think even you're saying about the... 10 men with Newcastle and Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. yeah, I think the last half an hour against Chelsea, we would have snapped someone's hand off for maybe six points after the sort of the midfield shown at that stage. But I think with Liverpool's probably, you go back to it, don't you, with uh, how competitive the league is. And 10 points from 12 is normally top of the table type form, isn't it? And you think you've got a good chance of building on that and going into Christmas maybe there or thereabouts. And I think Liverpool is like third or fourth at the minute with one team on 12 and the rest are on 10 and they're down but I think with Liverpool it's probably you couldn't have imagined a better start and I think with how Liverpool have sort of overcame the adversity and built upon the results and especially you're going into you're sort of bouncing into the international break aren't you you're just sort of crossing everything there's, there's no injuries no no further suspensions in Van Dijk's case and I think you're quietly confident going into the next few months going into then January and beyond um, but like football changes very quickly, doesn't it? So you can't really be too positive for too long because you never know. We could go to the first game and McAllister's torn at ACL or <laughs> something like that. But don't want to wish it. I'll just put it in there. But you never know. You can't be positive for too long. That is basically the motto of my yeah. life, basically. <laughs> uh, right, that should do us then. Uh, where can we find you guys on Twitter? I'm at Ian Doyle Sports. Tom, you are? At Tom Cavilla. How are we spelling that? C-A-V-I-L-L-A. Thank you. And Stephen? Underscore Stephen Killam. And also we find a little bit of non-league information from you yeah. as well, yes. All things off the park. Indeed, yes, yeah. right. That <laughs> should do us then. Uh, join us later this week. We will have another Blood Red podcast. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.